Good morning, everyone. Well, according to our order of worship, my name is John Calvin. I wish, uh, not quite. Okay. I'm Dave Jorgensen, and it's great to be here. I'm a former member of uh, Kent Hope, and uh, my wife uh, was a member with me as well, so Martha's in there. Raise your hand. And my granddaughter's also here, Alina. Just raise your hand. And my sister, Sherry. So if I'm up here, no one's anonymous. Nobody's safe. Okay. So uh, definitely, we're very thankful to be back here, and it's great to see some uh, familiar faces. Uh, we definitely appreciate you having us here. So probably the most important question people want to know this morning is, uh, how long should a fellow preach? You know, what's the proper, appropriate length of a sermon? Well, I have a little story about that in Parkway Presbyterian, a place where I uh, attended church and was an elder there. Uh, I had a, a former elder come up to me and talk to me about an interim preacher they had probably 20 or 30 years ago there. Off preaching uh, pretty reasonable sermons, about good sermons, but as time went on, he kept going and going longer, longer and longer. And so uh, after a while, the elder said, I have to say something to him. I have to make a suggestion here. So he went up to him, and he basically said, here's what you do. You take a lifesaver. You just take a lifesaver candy, you put it under your tongue, and when that's done, the sermon's done. You're good to go. So uh, I don't have a lifesaver with me. But what I did bring was this, okay? <laughs> so um, I should have you all out of here probably by tomorrow morning sometime, all right? So let's get after it. Uh, please bow your heads in prayer. Father, it is so good to come together in fellowship. Thank you so much for having us uh, this morning. Thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you for the Holy Spirit, for giving us grace, mercy, forgiveness, and life. And Lord, uh, may your word go out unhindered this morning. Through the power of your Holy Spirit, help us to understand it, to remember it, and to apply it to our We ask it in his name. Amen. So before we get into the text this morning, which is uh, 1 John chapters, uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 10, I want to give some background on the disciple John and the apostle John and also talk about the reason why he wrote 1 John as well. So when you think of John, oftentimes we think of Peter. We can re relate to Peter, who often said impulsive things, kind of put his foot in his mouth, and denied our Lord three times and then was radically transformed after Jesus died and rose from the grave. He was incredibly courageous after that point. But when we think of John, I have a bias towards John. I always thought John is Jesus' favorite disciple. He sort of presents himself as this warm and fuzzy sort of individual. Now, what... Oops, can we doing okay? Okay. Let's see if we're... Is that a little better? Okay, okay. So when we think of John, um, Scripture tells us a much different story than that warm, fuzzy disciple that we might think of or the apostle. John was a fisherman. And a lot of times when we look at uh, people who are in the fishing industry today, we kind of look at some rough and rugged people. Also, scripture from the Gospel of Mark tells us that John was nicknamed the son, Sons of Thunder along with his brother James. That probably means that he wasn't of mellow disposition. Okay. And probably the most disturbing thing about John was he basically, along with his brother, when Jesus and his disciples went to a Samaritan village and the village did not receive them, John and James offered to call down fire from above and destroy the village. 
Well, in modern terms, that's uh, described as premeditated first-degree murder, or even you can go as far as genocide. That'll certainly earn you a life sentence or possibly a, a death sentence, depending on which jurisdiction you're in. And then finally, uh, we see John also participates in a little family plot instigated by their mother with Jesus when uh, she asks if her sons can sit at Jesus' left and right hand. The other disciples, the uh, Gospel of Matthew tells us, were indignant at that request. Uh, no wonder there. So what we do see later after Jesus rose from the dead, this radical transformation of John. John the Apostle writes this in 1 John 4.20. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. What a radical transformation from offering to cast fire down upon a village and obliterate it to saying that you can't love God unless you love your brother. Why did that happen? Well, it happened because G John was with Jesus for three years and was radically transformed. So when we look at 1 John, why did John write this letter? Well, the first thing that was going on, um, he wrote this letter much later in his life. It's thought that it was written between about 90 and 95 in those years, which was uh, quite a while after Jesus was crucified and resurrected. And so people at that point were leaving the churches, mostly because of false teachings. So there were a lot of schisms in the churches. So John really had a threefold purpose when he wrote the letter. First of all, it was to assure people that Jesus is the Christ and the Savior, and that your faith placed in Jesus is in the right place. Also, to correct false teachings. Some of the heresies that were going on at that time were docetism, and also, also possibly, we're not sure of this, but early, very early forms of Gnosticism. So we'll touch on that just briefly in the sermon here. But finally, also to bring unity to the churches as well. So let's go ahead and read the word. Let's see. So I thought I had this marked here. So hear the word of God. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and testified to it, and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father, and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed our fellowship is with the Father, and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things to you, so that our joy may be complete. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. The word of God. 
So today, as we look at this text, uh, what we're going to do is, as the Westminster Confession suggests in chapter 1, we're going to use Scripture to help us interpret Scripture. And the best place to interpret the Gospel of John, or the first letter of John, is in the Gospel of John and some of his other writings. So we're going to rely quite a bit on that as well. So the first part of this passage, the first two verses, tell us this about Jesus. It really tells us who Jesus is. And what we learn from John is that he is from the beginning. This reiterates what John wrote in his gospel. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. This comes from the first couple verses of John's gospel. John's referring to the fact that Jesus has always been and always will be, the pre-dawn of time, pre-existence. Jesus says this about himself in Revelation. He says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty, from Revelation chapter 1, verse 8. So not only is Jesus, has he always been, he is fully human. In John's, gospel, or in John's letter here, he talks about how he's heard, saw, and touched Jesus. John is telling you that he's a reliable source here. He's been with Jesus for three years during his ministry. In the Gospel of John, he writes this. This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things, and we know that his testimony is true. So John is telling you indeed that Jesus was in fact fully human. Now, the Bible also tells us about the humanity of Jesus in many places in Scripture. We know from Scripture that Jesus wept. He was tired. He was hungry. He slept. He ate. And at times, he showed righteous anger. All of these things are human emotions or human characteristics. And as John states in this passage, Jesus had blood. And in fact, this blood was poured out for all of us on the cross. All of these points are contrary to the heretical teaching of docetism. And what I mean by heresy is an incorrect belief in who Jesus was, an unorthodox incorrect belief. Heresies always evolve around the person of Jesus Christ, and they always have a wrong idea of who he was, contrary to Scripture. So we know that Jesus was fully human. In fact, addressing this point, uh, Pastor Bill Hemming, who is the pastor of Parkway Presbyterian, says this. Jesus is the ideal human. He is the very measure of what humanity is meant to be. So when we become more like Jesus, we become more human, not less. Now this dates me a little bit, but one of my favorite songs in the 80s was a song by Human League called Human. Some of you might recognize that. The lyrics say, I'm only human of flesh and blood I'm made. I'm only human, born to make mistakes. It's a good song. In fact, I'd argue it's a great song, but it's bad theology. Okay? So again, when we become more like Jesus, we become more human, not less. So Jesus has always been. He's fully human, and he is the word of life, as John tells us. Not only life, but eternal life. In John's Gospel, uh, chapter 1, verse, 10, verse 14, John writes about how Jesus became human. He said, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So Jesus was with God the Father 
but his life was shown to us. And I love the way that the message uh, translation, the paraphrase of the Bible puts it. It says the infinite life of God himself took shape before us. So moving further down in the first chapter of 1 John, John talks about fellowship. And we know uh, from verses 3 and 4 that John is very moved to tell us about the life and the eternal life of Jesus that he has seen, heard, and touched. Various translations talk about John's witnessing. Words are used such as witnessed, proclaim, desire, testify, and telling you to describe John's emphasis in telling Jesus about others. And the purpose of John's witness he also talks about in this chapter. It was so others may share in the fellowship with God the Father and with his Son Jesus Christ and also with others who believe in Jesus as well. And in doing this, John is setting a very good example. He's following the great commission that Jesus gave to all of us in the Gospel of Matthew, telling us to go and make disciples. This is a great example that John provides us, witnessing to others. And John also has a further purpose of this, and that is joy. He writes and tells us how their joy is complete in telling others about Jesus. So his witness furthers furthers the purpose of what Jesus said in the Gospel of John. In chapter 17, Jesus prayed this for all of us, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So we are meant not to be in isolation, but in community with each other. And this is very contrary to the teachings of Gnosticism, where some secret knowledge puts you in a place where you can have special revelation. Jesus taught publicly. Jesus encouraged us to share with each other and to be in fellowship and community with each other. And I love the way that uh, Pastor Charles Stanley Uh, states this in a recent devotional he writes this independence may be a prize attribute in our culture but not in the bible god designate or excuse me yeah he says this nowhere in scripture will you find the erroneous quote god helps those who help themselves rather he adds we are to give ourselves away to others and receive from them in return God designed this mutual encouragement to result in greater holiness throughout the body of Christ. So again, one of John's uh, purposes in this is to promote joy. And certainly I think that many people here and I myself can also attest that there is great joy in Christian fellowship. There is joy in coming to church, visiting with people as we've done today. There's wonderful joy in small groups when you participate in that sort of fellowship. Uh, Many people here... I was part of a small group as well as Martha. Uh, They're some of our best friends. We think about them often. And we had a great, uh, great time together as we fellowshiped, worshiping Jesus. And Jesus said, finally, in the Gospel of John, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. So joy is certainly a very important part of Christian fellowship. Now, also in this letter, um, in verses 5 through 9, John really describes the characteristics of God and also the characteristics of man. And when I'm talking about man, I mean homo sapiens. So sorry, uh, ladies and and women, you're thrown in with the rest of the men here. But we can see from what Scripture tells us, the characteristics of God, that God does not change. In Numbers, 
Moses writes this, God is not man that he should lie, or a son of man that he should change his mind. And the author of Hebrews states this, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. So what we find from this passage, first of all, is God is light. He is completely light. In him there is no darkness whatsoever. And in his gospel, John talks about light. He writes this, In him was life, speaking of Jesus, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And later in John's gospel, Jesus says this about himself, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So God is light. This passage also tells us that God is truth. Now, there's a popular philosophy today. Um, it's, it's really uh, happened uh, later in the last century, but it's called postmodernism. And really what that means is truth is relative. Your truth is as valid as my truth. You can have a different truth. I can have a different truth than you, but they're, they're equally valuable. They're all the same. So you can make whatever truth you want to make. Now, you can probably see spiritually what kind of problems that that can cause. Let's contrast that with God's truth. What does God have to say about that? Well, let's take a look at what Jesus has to say about himself. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So Jesus is the absolute truth, and he never changes. Amen. So God is light, God is truth, God is also faithful. God does what he says he will do. He who calls you is faithful, he will surely do it. The Apostle Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians. And again in 2 Corinthians, Paul writes, For all God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ with a resounding yes. And we know from this passage as well that John tells us that God is faithful. God is also just, as John tells us here. A God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright as he, Moses tells us in the book of Deuteronomy. Now when we look at man's characteristics, unlike God, man can change. Jesus brilliantly describes this in the Gospel of John. He says, for everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. That's from John chapter 3. So based on the language in our passage today, we can infer that as humans, as, as fallible humans, we can walk with God or without God. We can live in truth or without truth. We can deceive ourselves and others, or we can live without deception. We can confess our sins or not confess them. But the good news is that we can be forgiven of sins. And John tells us this in verses 7 through 9, that the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. And John talks about two major points here, that we have to walk in the light as Jesus is in the light and also confess our sins. So what is walking in the light? Well, the IVP commentary describes walking in the light as conforming with the very character and heart of God. And the Bible tells us again that we're all short, that all of us are sinners, and we all sin, we fall short of God's standards. But those in the light, they do indeed sin. But the key is is that they recognize the need to be purified from that sin. So living in the light causes us to recognize what is false and impure in us. To the contrary, those that live in darkness 
don't recognize a need to be purified from sin. And if there's no recognition of sin, there's no need of a Savior. And if there's no Savior, there's no salvation. So John tells us that if we say that we do not sin, we deceive ourselves. Not only that, we make God out to be a liar. So those are two things that aren't good. They don't honor God, and we certainly don't want to do either one of them. But again, John tells us the good news that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So the process of living in the light and confessing our sins is really the process of repentance. It's recognizing sin, confessing it, and turning away from sin, turning towards God. Now remember, Jesus tells us that he's the light of the world, and whoever follows him will not walk in darkness, but will have that light of life. So let's walk in the light, turn toward Jesus, and have that wonderful fellowship and forgiveness that he offers us. So in conclusion, what does all this mean to you? Well, here we see that Jesus has always been and always will be. He is the light, he is everlasting and eternal life. He invites you to have fellowship with himself, with the Father, and with other Christians. And if we believe in Jesus, we can have this fellowship. Even more with Jesus, we can walk in the light and have forgiveness and forgive others as well. So, again, I'm going to date myself and talk about my wonderful taste in music. Uh, In 1966, there was a song that came out that some of you older folks like me may uh, recognize. It was a song written by a group you probably don't hear in church every Sunday, but they were called The Temptations. And uh, later, it was covered by the Rolling Stones, and it's entitled Ain't Too Proud to Beg. So if you don't know Jesus, I ain't too proud to beg. Please consider inviting him into your life as your Savior. He is the light. He is life. He is the only way to salvation, and he's the only one who can save your soul. And in the Gospel of John, Jesus tells us this, the last verse for you to think about. I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. Please pray with me. Father, thank you so much for your word. Uh, Thank you again for the fellowship today, for the gift of your Son, for the Holy Spirit for the fellowship you offer us, and for the forgiveness of sins. For those who don't know you, please help them to consider you. Please help them to draw them, draw them to you so they may ask you into their life. And for those of us that do know you, help us to tell others about Jesus. Help us to share your goodness with others. And we lift up all of us and pray that we can walk in the light, that we can turn away and confess our sins and turn towards our wonderful Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.